0: Welcome back to Understanding Childhood Cancer with Dr. Jeff. And today is the second episode in my series on immunotherapy. And in particular today I'm going to talk about antibodies that are used to try to kill cancer. So if you've tuned into this podcast and you're looking to learn a bit about childhood cancer in general, this is not the episode to start with. You'd be better off to look at the one on an introduction to the podcast series or an introduction to chemotherapy or ones that explain what various different diseases are because this one's a little bit specialised and it's uh, to talk about something called immunotherapy and in particular to talk about antibodies against cancer in children. Now you really need to have listened to the first episode on immunotherapy because that explained the basics of what Antibodies are and what they're normally doing in life, and how antibodies are normal chemicals that are in our bloodstream, and we have antibodies against all sorts of things. So we have antibodies against viruses that we've had in the past. We have an antibody maybe against chickenpox and an antibody against the cold virus. and if we have a flu shot, we develop an antibody against influenza strain that's out that year. So we have lots and lots of antibodies and they're all out there and designed to attach themselves to a virus, for instance, and then use the rest of the immune system to kill the virus. So they can bring in chemicals from the bloodstream to kill the virus. They can bring in other types of white blood cells to attach to the virus and kill it. There's T cells, there's NK cells. There's all sorts of ways that antibodies work to kill the target. But each antibody is very specific against one particular target. So we have gazillions of different antibodies in our bloodstream uh, waiting to attack the target should the target get into our body somehow. So you can see why it's an attractive thought. Can we get an antibody to kill cancer? That's a very attractive thought. That's what antibodies are meant to do. They're meant to kill undesirable cells and viruses and things like that in our body. Can we get an antibody to do just that? Now, the obvious problem is that if a patient has developed a cancer, and so a tumour that's grown from one cell to become some sizeable large tumour, then obviously their immune system has not dealt with this cancer. So if our immune system does sometimes help us to eradicate tumours, and potentially that's what happens when tumours are very small and our body eradicates them before they ever get started well if that is the case well by the time someone's got a, a tumour that can be detectable and measured clearly the immune system hasn't worked in getting rid of that tumour in that patient. So even if the patient has got some antibodies in their system that are somehow directed against that cancer well in this particular case they're not proving effective because the cancer is growing. Now, before I go on, why don't I just cover a little bit of the terminology again? So I've told you what an antibody is. That's a, a protein, a chemical. It's in the bloodstream. It's elsewhere in the body. And at one end of it is the FAB end of it, the fragment antigen binding, the FAB fragment. And that's the bit that varies from one antibody to the next. So it, it'll have a different sort of DNA and protein sequence for the chickenpox antibody and the tetanus antibody and the flu antibody. That's the FAB end of it. And then at the other end of the antibody is the FC fragment. The FC fragment is pretty much the same for all all the different antibodies, and that's the bit that binds onto the immune system and pulls it into play to kill the target. So that's the antibody. Now, remember from the other episode, an antigen... The antigen is the target. So if the virus is chickenpox, then the antibody against chickenpox will be directed against the chickenpox antigen. So the antigen is the target. The antigen is the thing you're trying to kill, or it's part of the thing you're trying to kill. Okay, So tetanus toxin or bee stings or something like that, all of those things are the antigen. Now, another word that I'll have to use a lot is when I say that the antigen is expressed. So when I say the antigen is expressed on tumour cells, well, often I'll be talking about the fact that the antigen is present on the surface of the tumour cell. So I might talk about an antigen called CD20. Well, if I say that the leukaemia cells express CD20... Well, express means that the leukemia cells have CD20 usually on the surface of their cells. And we can measure surface expression of a lot of chemicals very easily. We use something called a flow cytometer or immunohistochemistry. These are routine pathology tests that we can do for a lot of antigens to look for the presence of the antigen on the surface of the cell. Now, antibodies can work against intracellular targets in some sort of a way, but I think most of the time we'll find that the antibodies that are used against cancer will be targeting antigens that are on the surface of cancer cells. Now the next thing to deal with is you'll hear a lot of the time that I talk about antigens, so targets, and I'll say that there's one called cd twenty or CD22, or CD19. So just to explain what all this CD thing is about, CD, well, it stands for cluster differentiation, but there's nothing magic about the term. It's just all of the different chemicals that are found on the surface of cells, and particularly blood cells and leukemia cells and bone marrow cells, but also other cells, you know, as they were all identified, they were all given different numbers according to this, CD system. So there's CD1 and there's CD3 on T cells and CD4 that's on T cells and CD8 that's on different T cells and CD19 that's on B cells and CD61 that's on this. So it's really just a system for coding all these different chemicals that are found on the surface of cells. CD this and CD that. So whenever you hear people talking about CD something expression, most of the time I think we're talking about cell surface expression of those things but not necessarily you can have intracellular expression of cd3 or intracellular that means inside the cell intracellular expression of cd79a a lot of the time we'd be talking about cell surface expression of one of these antigens but most of the cds when we say cd this and cd that cd10 cd8 we're talking about normal chemicals that are found normally in the human body at some point. Now they can still end up being a target for treating leukaemia and cancer, but most of the CD things we're talking about a normal chemical that's normally found on certain cell types. So now let's talk about some of the considerations you have in trying to develop an antibody to use against cancer. Now remember, by the way, I talked about how we've used antibodies in medicine for decades. We've been giving people immunoglobulin shots after they step on a rusty nail for years. And we've been giving pregnant women anti-D shots if their blood group is uh, mismatched with their baby. We've been giving antibodies for ages. Now a lot of the time those antibodies were extracted from blood donations and concentrated and so on. Most of the time nowadays when we talk about an antibody to using cancer, we're talking about antibodies that are produced in a pharmaceutical company's uh, labs, in their factories. So produced in very sterile and very purified techniques in uh, what's called good manufacturing practice. And those antibodies will not just be a mixture of antibodies like you might get from a, a blood donor, This will usually just be an antibody against one thing and one thing only, and that's why they're usually called monoclonal antibodies. So mono means one, clonal means it's one clone of antibodies. So a monoclonal antibody, it'll just be an antibody against one particular target, and you won't have a bunch of other antibodies in there that are antibodies against this and that and irrelevant other targets. So the best target to identify would be to find a target that is on the surface of cancer cells, but it's not on the surface of any normal cells. So a cell surface molecule, some sort of target that is specific to cancer, and so if you can get an antibody against that target, then you could give the antibody and would kill the cancer and it wouldn't hit any of the normal cells in the body. Now, that would be nice, but I don't know of any particular examples. There will be people that know some examples of this that are in clinical practice, but I can't think of any just off the top of my head. That would obviously be the perfect sort of a target, wouldn't it? Now, an alternative to that is I do know that there are some cancers that have on the surface of them chemicals that are normally found in the human body, but normally found, say, only in embryonic life. So there are certain targets that are present before we're ever born, and then we no longer have them on normal tissues after we're born, and then when the cancer develops, for some reason the cancer has these chemicals on their surface. Uh, I think some of the melanoma targets are like that, but whether they've ended up being useful targets for immunotherapy, I'm not sure, Certainly those new wonder antibodies aren't in that class. They're a different system altogether I'll have to come to later. But yes, an antibody against a normal cell molecule that's no longer expressed anywhere in the body, well, that's an attractive target because you could give an antibody, kill the cancer, but you hopefully wouldn't be hitting any other cells in the body. Now, another type of target that you would consider in immunotherapy is a normal cell surface molecule... That's normally present on some normal tissues in the body, but it just happens to also be present, and hopefully in much higher levels on cancer cells. So if you imagine some sort of target, let's well no let's just pick as an example, CD20. Suppose CD20 is expressed in high levels on the cell surface of lymphoma cells. Now CD20 is also expressed on a bunch of normal cells, but if we found that CD20 is expressed in much higher levels on the cancer cells than on the normal cells, then if we gave an antibody to attack CD20 positive cells, well we might find that it was stronger in killing cancer cells than in damaging normal cells. So that's just a theoretical example, I'm not saying that's how it is with CD20, but that would be a desirable situation. An antibody against a normal chemical that's normally on some of our cells, but it's present in much higher levels in the cancer cells. And this is where most of the anti-cancer antibodies have been developed, mostly in situations where they're targeting a normal cell target, but it's also present on the cancer cells. And sometimes you can get away with That because if you do happen to hit some normal tissues with the antibody, well, it may be that the side effects that you get from that are acceptable. So provided it kills the cancer very well, you might say, well, look, it's all right to kill some normal cells as well, Uh, maybe because those cells will recover or maybe because those cells aren't as sort of critically important as some other cells. There's ways to, to consider that the off-target effects of an antibody are still acceptable. But anyway, suppose somehow we've identified a target on cancer cells and we can develop an antibody against the cancer cells. Well, there's a few more hurdles to think about because it's not just a simple case of making an antibody, giving it and it'll kill cancer cells. There's all sorts of other considerations. So... Firstly, we'd like to know that the target, the antigen that's expressed on the cancer cells, that it is expressed on all of the cancer cells. Remember, we want to kill all the cells, all the cancer cells, not just 90% of them or 80% of them. So we need to know that the target is expressed on all of the cancer cells, ideally. And in addition, we'd like the target to be expressed at a high level on all of the cancer cells. And we we know that cancer cells are unstable things, that they've got mutations, and so it should come as no surprise that sometimes tumour cells express an antigen on most of the cells, but there are certain clones of the cells that have emerged that are no longer expressing the antigen. So that's a problem. The next question is what happens when the antibody binds to the target? Because all sorts of different things can happen when an antibody binds to a target. Sometimes an antibody binds to a target and then the target gets sort of internalised within the cell. Then we know that some antibodies are very good at recruiting T-cells to come and kill the cancer cell, but some other antibodies are not. Some antibodies are good at bringing in chemicals to kill the cell. There's all sorts of different sort of things that some antibodies are good at and some are not we have to consider, well, what sort of antibody are we going to use? Can we use a human antibody, or do we have to use an antibody that's designed on, say, a mouse antibody? Um, Because for various technical reasons, sometimes we are going to develop a stronger antibody if we use a mouse antibody. Well, that might be good, but then we don't know if the human will accept a mouse antibody running around in their system. So we might give this mouse antibody that's very good at killing cancer, but if the patient develops antibodies against the mouse antibody, all right, so now we've got antibodies against antibodies, well, that could neutralise its effect. So there's a whole lot of technical considerations that have to be ploughed through, and that's why these antibodies are big-time development projects for huge, great pharmaceutical companies because you can imagine they go through dozens and dozens and hundreds of different modifications and changes and try to find one that actually works. And that, of course, is a problem for those of us who treat children with cancer. The fact is that there are thousands and thousands more patients with adult-type cancers than there are children with cancer. And so if a drug company has to make hard commercial decisions and needs to recoup their investments, etc., well, investing in a more common cancer is often going to be more attractive to them. But having said that, we have a very paediatric antibody coming to market soon, and I'm referring there to the anti-neuroblastoma antibody. So we can get there, but... A lot of the time, drug companies are going to be focusing on the more common cancers like breast cancer and bowel cancer and and I guess you can see why. But anyway, let me tell you about some of the antibodies that are out there and I don't want to go over all the data in favour or against or everything. I'll, I'll just tell you which ones are out there that are of relevance to the treatment of children with cancer and I'll mention a few adult ones along the way. Most of the time though, these antibodies are given into the vein, they're given intravenously, either through a drip put in a vein or through a central line. And oftentimes it's, you know, some sort of infusion, 30 minute, 60 minute, sometimes 10 hour, there's different ones. You know, it depends a bit on the toxicity of the antibodies as well. See, that's an important consideration. If we're giving an antibody that's directed against cancer, but it's also going to hit some normal cells, well then that's going to be of great relevance to how much of a dose you can give and how often you can give it and how quickly you give it and whether you can give it or not at all. So the off-target effects of the antibody are very important to the whole situation. But anyway, in uh, leukemia and lymphoma, there's a few antibodies out there. There's one called rituximab. Rituximab is an anti-CD20 antibody. So CD20 is just a normal chemical and it's expressed on the surface of a lot of B cells. B cells are the commonest uh, sort of cell that goes malignant to form childhood leukemia. So CD20 is expressed on a number of B cells and so rituximab is one that we've taken to using a lot in the treatment of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And particularly in adults, but in children, uh, we're using it more and more in non-Hodgkin's lymphoma of the B-cell type. So particularly something called Burkitt's lymphoma, and there's a uh, mediastinal B-cell lymphoma where we've taken taken to using it. And usually we're using it in addition to uh, sort of more old-fashioned type chemotherapy drugs. So there's a combination called R-CHOP. So that's rituximab given with the CHOP combination. CHOP's a long-standing, old-fashioned combination of drugs. And there's one called EPOC-R. So the EPOC stands for five different chemo drugs, and then the R stands for the rituximab. There's some other antibodies that are used and directed against the B cells. There's, There's a few anti-CD22 antibodies. And again, CD22 is a chemical that's expressed on normal B cells, but a proportion of leukemias and lymphomas will have CD22 on the surface of them. So an anti-CD22 antibody can be useful. And in particular, there's one called Epratuzumab That's an antibody against CD22. And there's another anti-CD22 antibody called moxitumumab. So this is an interesting one. It's anti-CD22, but it's also got a little bit of a poison attached to it. So it's a mouse anti-CD22, and it's got this little bit of poison attached to it, and it's just a tiny dose of poison, but if the antibodies preferentially attached to cells with CD22 on them, so certain leukemia cells... Then when the antibody does get internalised into the cell, well, the poison is there to selectively poison the leukemic cells. And then there's another anti-CD22 antibody that's pretty clever. It's called Blinatumomab. Now, this one has anti-CD22 at one end, but at the other end of it, it's been engineered and constructed to attach to T-cells. So it's it's sort of got antibody at both ends almost. One end attaches to the target, the CD22, and the other end attaches to the T cells and so it brings the T cell right up close to the leukaemia cell and that's how the whole thing works to use the immune system to kill the leukaemia. And, you know, these drugs are all in trials in paediatric cancer. So there's a lot of, you know, tweaks you can put on an antibody to make it kill the target better so the... Moxetumomab had the poison attached to it. There are some others that are used in medicine where the antibody has a radioactive atom or molecule attached to it, so it selectively delivers radiation to the target. All sorts of clever tricks. Next, there's an antibody that's used in the treatment of neuroblastoma, and it's made a huge difference to the treatment of neuroblastoma. It's been one of the biggest breakthroughs in the last 20, 30 years, I think. It's anti-GD2 antibody. So GD2 is a chemical that's expressed on the surface of neuroblastomas very often in high levels. And this took a long time to work out how to use this antibody, this anti-GD2 antibody. And there's a couple of them around. There's in particular this chimeric one that was reported in the New England Journal of Medicine several years ago and is You know, it's really been a big breakthrough and unfortunately it's quite toxic to give because the antibody also targets some other tissues and it targets nerves and so it can cause pain and it can cause sort of allergic reactions and low blood pressure and fever and it's really quite a big deal to give this to children. In the big study that was reported in the New England Journal of Medicine, the patients with stage four neuroblastoma would have all the usual chemotherapy, they would have the cancer removed, they would have the high dose chemotherapy with a bone marrow transplant of their own bone marrow, and then after all of that, then they'd go on to five cycles of immunotherapy. And to give each of them they'd be given an infusion of either a drug called GMCSF or interleukin two and Those are two drugs that really sort of wind up the immune system and then they'd be given the antibody and, uh, you know, this normally took a week in hospital to give it all and, you know, really they'll get quite sick at times and high fevers and need for pain relief and extra fluids and all sorts of things, but it really has made a big difference and that was what they call a randomised study and they really proved that if you gave this antibody you're more likely to cure stage 4 or other high-risk neuroblastoma. So that's an anti-GD2 antibody and again that shows you the value of clinical trials that we could, we could evaluate this drug and really prove that it makes a difference. And that's the one that is now coming to market shortly. The, there's a company that's going to take on its production and supply and Um, in time I think we'll be able to be using that antibody not just within a research trial anymore but we'll be able to obtain it in a commercial fashion. Okay the next one to mention is a drug called Brentuximab. Brentuximab is one that's uh, an antibody against CD30 and it's got a little poison attached to it as well but the poison only gets released when the antibody gets to the cell and then gets inside the cell and then somehow the poison gets cut off from the antibody and the poison can kill the tumour cell. Now CD30 in particular is something that we see in Hodgkin's disease, so Hodgkin's lymphoma, and also in a particular type of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma called anaplastic large cell lymphoma. That's a particular type of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, anaplastic large cell lymphoma. So Brentuximab is... Uh, finding a place in the management of those diseases, still sort of under evaluation. When should we use it? How should we use it? How should we incorporate it into uh, our existing chemotherapies, etc.? But it looks like being a useful drug. Next antibody to mention is relevant in sarcomas. And in particular, we were quite interested in whether these antibodies would find a place in the treatment of rhabdomyosarcoma or in Ewing's sarcoma, but maybe in some others as well. So these were antibodies against IGF-1R. So IGF-1, that stands for insulin-like growth factor 1. So it's not insulin, but it's insulin-like. And and this is a chemical that's circulating in the bloodstream. Now IGF-1 delivers a message to cells to grow via a receptor on the surface of the cell. So certain tumor cells have this receptor that receives the message from IGF-1. So they have this IGF-1R on the surface of the tumor cells. And a number of sarcomas were found to have high levels of IGF-1R on their surface. And so a number of companies develop antibodies against IGF-1R. At one point, it seemed to me there were seven or eight different companies that had their their own IGF-1R antibodies out there, and uh, we were struggling to make sense of it. And we were very excited about these at first, but oh, I don't know, I think we've ended up a bit disappointed. We, they haven't been the magic bullets that we hoped. I think a number of companies have since discontinued their development of these drugs... And so I'm not quite sure where we're going to end up with them. I know there was a COG study that took the uh, background high-risk protocol ARST0431 and then was looking to add in one of these antibodies and compare it to an alternative combination. And we're waiting to get the results of that study, as I understand it. But I wouldn't say that these have turned out to be the big magic bullet that we hoped they would be. I think we're going to have to keep watching this space to see where we end up with these IGF-1R antibodies. Anyway, they're the antibodies that spring to mind as I sit here. Now, if I was to be asked, well, which of these are sort of mainstream and part of mainstream treatment now? Well, I'd have to say the neuroblastoma antibody stands out as one that I think we have very good evidence now to, to prove that in selected high-risk patients that we really should be looking at using the anti-GD2 antibody. Now, there are different research studies still going on around the world. The European group are studying the the same sort of antibody but in a different... Dosing regimen and and with variations to that interleukin 2, GM-CSF that goes with it and retinoic acid, etc. So there's different ways to use these, and there's a lot of research going on in further ways to refine their use. But I think we can say that in high-risk neuroblastoma after a bone marrow transplant, that in patients that come to that point with an adequate level of disease control, that, that probably I would consider that to be something I'd want to be doing, usually. Now, as far as the other antibodies I've mentioned, I think most of them still are within the realms of needing to be looked at within clinical trials. I think we're still working out what to do with Eprotuzumab and the other anti-CD22 antibodies. Rituximab, maybe it's a bit more secure and sort of more established. Yeah, not quite sure. And then the IGF-1 receptor antibodies in the sarcomas, I think very much we're still trying to see if there is a role for them and if so, where it is. Um, And so there's a lot of research trials still going on to work out what to do with all of these antibodies and how best to use them and will they really improve our chances to cure a particular cancer. Anyway, I'll stop there, I think. So just to recap, remember these are antibodies that are mostly generated against a target that's present on cancer cells, and hopefully it's present on all of the cancer cells or most of the cancer cells, and hopefully it's present in high levels on the surface of cancer cells. So there's a lot of molecules of the target on the cancer cell. But a lot of the time, the antibodies we use against cancer are also going to have some effects on off-target cells so on normal cells in the body and so in neuroblastoma that can cause nerve pain in some of the leukemic ones it can cause a reduction in some of the normal cells that should be in our bloodstream so there's no free lunch there's um there's usually some sort of side effects to be considered and to be dealt with but sometimes some side effects are acceptable if that's what it takes to cure cancer I think it's fair to say that most of these antibodies are still needing to be evaluated in clinical trials, though some have a more secure spot now where we've really proved that they should be being used. In my next few episodes, I'll get on to the other antibodies that are used in a different way to treat cancer, particularly those groovy new melanoma ones. And I'll talk about some CAR T-cells and some bone marrow transplant techniques and Yeah, I'll be covering a bit more in the way of immunotherapy. So thanks for tuning in to Understanding Childhood Cancer with Dr. Jeff. Remember to go to my Facebook page. uh, Tell me if this makes sense. Tell me if it was just confusing or uh, tell me if there's something else you would like me to expand on or talk about apart from specific individual patients, of course. And then go to the iTunes store, give me some stars. Otherwise, I think I'll leave it there. Thanks for listening. Bye now.